We received great feedback on the first installment of Microbe Mail's Would You Rather episode, the bacterial version, so much so that we thought we'd repeat it all again, but this time with some viral content. This is Microbe Mail, and I'm your host, Vindana Chibabai, and I'm joined again today by my co-host, Ruan Murray. Hey, Ruan, how are you doing today? Hi, good, uh, good in yourself, Ben. I'm good, thank you. It's a bit cold and rainy outside, not my favorite weather, but it's fine, we'll deal with it. So today we've got one expert guest and we've got two challengers actually joining us. And our guests are Associate Professor Marvin Xiao, Mupeng Maseko and Simon Fraser of the Dr. Coffee podcast. So I'll let my guests go ahead and tell you a little bit about themselves. Marvin, do you want to go ahead first? Hi. Um, yeah, so I am a clinical virologist here based at UCT and Kyrgyzstan Hospital. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to learning about some virology topics with uh, my kind of fellow virologist and uh, others. Thanks. Thanks, Marvin. Mupeng, Mo, tell us a bit about you. Um, hello. Hi, uh, my name is Mupeng. I am a clinical virology registrar at Khrutisky uh, and UCT with Associate Professor Marvin. Um, so I'm here to sacrifice my uh, reputation for the greater good of humanity. <laughs> humanity, education and virology. <laughs> <laughs> and Simon, tell us a bit about you. Hi, Vin. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Simon. I am probably the most academically junior of anyone here. I am an intern doctor at Charlotte McGregor, and I am also the host of the Dr. Coffee podcast, which is South Africa's podcast for junior doctors and medical students. I'm just happy to be here, and I'm hoping to learn as much as possible. Awesome. So before we head into this episode, just a couple of reminders. Remember to sign up on the Microbe Mail website for updates. You can also subscribe to Microbe Mail on your podcast player of choice. And remember to share this pod and this or other episodes with anyone who you think might benefit from this content. So a quick reminder for our guests of how this works. I'm going to ask you a question, or actually Ruan and I are going to take turns and ask you a question and giving you two options. And then Mo and Simon, you can each give us your preferred choice. And then Marvin, our expert, will talk us through which might be the better choice or what the pros and cons might be. All right, Mo, Simon, you are our micro minions today. Are we ready to play? Would you rather? Absolutely. Yes. I would rather play yes, this I game have. than anything else. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and Marvin, you've got our expert answers ready. As ready as I ever be, I guess. Awesome. So question one, would you rather be bitten by a tick or a mosquito? A tick or a mosquito in South Africa? Is that what you're saying? If it's in, is it in South Africa? Hmm. So I really wasn't thinking of it that specifically. Marvin, do you want it to be specific um, in South Africa or more global? I think, yeah. So we can, we can do South Africa and global. Maybe the, the respondent can uh, choose whatever that they want to answer. Okay. All right. So if we're in South Africa, I would choose Cape Town to be bitten by a mosquito in Cape Town <laughs> because there's not much it can give me. Yeah, there's not many diseases right now in Cape Town that a mosquito could give me. So, so I would choose a mosquito um, and mosquito. there is a malaria outbreak 
right now in the country places but we haven't not yet so yes mosquito rather took bad fever is difficult to diagnose sometimes they'll miss it so no mosquito okay cool what about you Simon? so um i'm going to become famous in this episode for saying it depends because it depends on geography it depends on season um but i think for the most part i would choose to be bitten by a tick because any of the serious illnesses uh, that can be bitten by a mosquito and, and fed, get from a mosquito um, a lot of them are preventable so we've got malaria prophylaxis we've got vaccinations for some of the the other diseases whereas with ticks there's a whole range of diseases you can get from them i mean there's a reason that i give my my trail running dog Brevecto uh, every couple of months because I don't want him to get uh, all of the different diseases he can get from ticks and he has had ticks on him before uh, we know that if you're in the Karoo and you get bitten by a tick you, <laughs> you just had a good chance of getting something nasty but so yeah so I think I, I would prefer to be bitten by a mosquito because ticks I, I don't know if I said mosquito or tick before but I, I prefer to be bitten by a mosquito because the number of things that you can get from a tick that aren't preventable is probably a lot higher. Interesting. Marvin, what should it be? I think those are relatively good answers. I mean, I think I too will probably be um, chosen to be bitten by a mosquito. That sounds really weird because I really hate mosquitoes. We have very hot <laughs> summer and they are very annoying. <laughs> And mosquitoes are associated with a lot of kind of severe diseases. I mean, some some of the stuff that comes to mind, like dengue, for example, Rift Valley fever, chikungunya, malaria. I mean, it's been mentioned. But I, I think all these diseases has like case fatality rate of less than 1%. I think the worst one is probably yellow fever. And yellow fever, you know, if you actually develop the infection, you can get around case fatality rate around like 30 to 40%. So... I think that's the only kind of exceptions, but otherwise most of the the mosquito infection, you know, is kind of relatively safe. Tick, on the other hand, I think the one that most people would know is the Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever, which is in South Africa, and that has a mortality of around like 30 to 40 percent. And some of the kind of tick-borne encephalitides, which we don't tend to get many of them here, but but you know, so they'll be in kind of US and Europe and elsewhere, Australia. <clears throat> and they they kind of also also pretty bad. They also some of them can also have more kind of mortality or like bad consequence of up to about 40%. So I agree with um both of the the answers. Well done. One for one. Awesome. Yeah. Good to see that you all agreed. <laughs> yeah. I, I think yeah from my perspective what when we were planning this question, I think the, really the right answer, as as Simon said, was that, you know, it, it really depends because arboviruses are very regional and geographically oriented. So if you're in yellow fever, in, in the middle of a yellow fever outbreak, then you really you want to avoid those mosquitoes. But if you're on a farm in the middle of the Northern Cape, you know, I really don't want to get bitten by a tick and get Crimean Congo. Mm. So really, yeah, I, I think it's it's all about where and when with uh, these arboviruses. Yeah, that's true. Shall we move on to question two then? I'm just relieved that we did okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start, right? <laughs> so it's going to yeah. be it's going to be downhill from here. <laughs> that's what I see. <laughs> Great. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the second question. It might seem obvious, but. Uh, think a little bit deeper. So would you rather be infected by herpes simplex virus one or herpes simplex virus two? Mo? 
Herpes simplex virus one or herpes simplex virus two? I think it would depend on how old I am. If I am a baby, I would not want um, herpes virus one. If I'm an adult, I would not want herpes simplex virus one. So I would want to be infected by herpes virus. Oh, I must choose one too. <laughs> um, simply because if I'm an adult and I get it, the worst that can happen to me most of the time would be like a meningitis. Um, it wouldn't be as bad as it would be if I got my primary infection in adulthood with HSV-1 and there I am with my encephalitis. So, and if I'm a baby and I get herpes virus 1 encephalitis, like a neonate get encephalitis, yes, there's treatment, but I mean, poor outcome. So herpes virus 2, yeah. Okay. And uh, Simon? Sure. Um, I think we've got to choose the lesser of two evils here. I mean, nobody wants herpes. I think the first lesson to say to everyone is play safe. And uh, fun is for a, for a night or two. And uh, herpes is forever. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, we were told we were told to remember that herpes one is associated with you know, cold sores and oral ulcers and herpes uh, two is associated with, associated with genital ulcers. But because people play rough, um, it's no longer always the case. I think that for me, I would much rather have a cold sore than anything, you know, in a private area. I think the, the first thing is I wouldn't want either of these. The <laughs> second thing is to say, I, I think I would prefer to take herpes simplex one. Um, and obviously there's different subtypes within herpes. So, you know, you might get a particularly strong strain that's going to mess you up every winter but uh hopefully a particularly mild case that we can just put some uh, acyclovir cream on our on our mouths and be done with but yeah herpes is forever and mm. uh, marvin so what what's your view on the topic all right well Ruan, i presume you came up with these questions and uh, uh well done on these and um, thought experiment but i mean of course there was a <laughs> reminder the, the listeners that these are not scenario that <clears throat> are realistic. You know, we're just doing this for fun. And then it's it's an interesting thought experiment. So I'm going to take it in the way that the question is intended and remove kind of, you know, our age and others kind of scenario out of the equation. And surprisingly, I think HSB1, which is by far the more common um, infection across the world, if one think about the worst possible outcome, HSV-1, I think, is worse than HSV-2. So HSV-1, and, and I think um, Mo has alluded to this, that, you know, it, it is a um, much more common cause of encephalitis. So herpes simplex encephalitis um, has a pretty poor outcome a lot of the time. Um, and also the other thing is that, um, and this a lot of people don't know about, is that one can get um, fulminant primary HSV infection, and that we often see with HSV one um, in adult, like, you know, young adults that's um, kind of acquiring HSV for the first time, um, they can kind of develop this fulminant disseminated disease, which involve um, severe hepatitis. And and I think for that reason, I would probably rather get HSV2. But having said that, I already have <laughs> HSV1. <laughs> so for me personally... <laughs> I'd rather get HSV1 because I already have it. and But yeah, I think in the spirit of the question, it probably meant HSV2. Ron? Yeah, no. Um, so, I mean, the, the whole team came up with these questions. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure actually if I came up with this one. But yeah, I, I think that's the, the goal is to point out e 
we are we are experiencing HSV two or a, or perceiving HSV two generally from the perspective of a population that mostly already has HSV one. So if you were to evaluate them each individually, you know HSV one has far worse outcomes, as you said. But I also do want to point out that HSV encephalitis, at least when you're talking about HSV one encephalitis, Mo, it's not generally associated with primary infection. It's generally a reactivation. So while you might get it with primary infection, the one that you're really going to be worried about with primary infection is your HSV hepatitis, which is often seen in, in, in pregnant women, which is quite severe. Um, yeah, Simon? I actually have a question. Um, first of all, um, I'm happy to concede that I don't know a lot about herpes, so I'm learning as we go. But is our transmission rates of uh, HSV, is that primarily through a sexually transmitted or is it vertical transmission or is it through contact? I mean, children... Uh, at a preschool swapping toys and saliva and things like that. What is the most common uh, way that HSV is spread? Uh, Marvin, you want to uh, take that query? Yeah, so, I mean, the most, at least the kind of textbooks um, is saying that, that, that HSV1 is um, spread through close contact, and that's kind of generally acquired at the, the, the kind of younger age, and probably a, a large proportion of that is kind of mother to child, but also horizontally and other kind of contact that you've been um, having with. HSV2, I mean, classically, we are is associated with kind of sexually related contact. And there, like people often think about um, kind of genital herpes, obviously. But we know that, um, you know, so the epidemiology of HSV1 and HSV2, you know, hasn't exclusively happened this way. And, you know, one can also find HSV1 in um, in, in genital herpes and, and vice versa. But the prevailing wisdom is that, um, you know, that it's mostly um, vertical and horizontal transmission for HSV1, and then it's mostly sexual transmission for HSV2. Thank you. That really helps. So that's one point each for HSV1 and HSV2 on this one. Are you happy? Does either one of you want to change your answer on that one? <laughs> I'm sticking with HSV2. It doesn't have to it. be genital. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'm gonna stick with my answer. As much as HSV1 is associated with you know some some worse things, because as as Prof Marvin said, it's quite widely distributed. I think yeah, I'll keep with HSV1 because HSV2 just yeah, I've seen enough in the clinics to, to <laughs> say, no, I'll go with cold sores any day. Okay. Okay. Question three, then. This one sounds like a bit of a stumper to me. Would you rather have Nipah virus encephalitis or Ebola virus? Mo? Whoa. Okay. <laughs> stumper. Or Ebola. Yeah. Whoa. You can blame Ruan, as I said. <laughs> it's all him. Ruan, why are you like this? Okay. Ebola is quite bad. Mm. That's, um, that's an understatement. <laughs> I think that uh, can be the, 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 the tagline for the, for the episode. Ebola is quite bad. Ebola is quite bad. <laughs> so, in terms of... Okay, okay. I would want to have Nipah virus. No, no, wait. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, no. It depends because geographically, okay, so let's say we are in a geographically permissible area to get either Nipah or Ebola. I would choose, okay, Ebola. 
I've decided Ebola. Nipah has a high mortality rate. So does Ebola, but I think Nipah is a bit higher. I think, I'm not sure because I'm not an expert. And right now, Ebola, they're working on that vaccine. Um, mm. People survive. People survive Ebola. I don't know if they survive Nipah much. Yeah. So I think treatment-wise, outbreak-wise, Ebola keeps coming back. It doesn't wipe us out yet. So... Maybe I'll go with Ebola. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> what about you, Simon? I'm I'm done. <laughs> you know, as I'm thinking about my answers to this question, the first thing I'm, I'm thinking about, why is it always bats? Whether it's <laughs> Nipah or Corona, why is it always bats? Just leave the bats alone, people. Um, even Ebola can be from bats, right? So <clears throat> I think I'm going to actually say that I would prefer to have Ebola. I don't know why. But I think that Ebola actually takes you out quicker. Uh, I mean, if you're going to go, you want to go quick. <laughs> and, and I mean, we we're talking about geography. Like, I want to be, if I'm going to get Ebola, I want to be that person, that index case in South Africa, that everyone's like, yo, there was that guy. And he got Ebola. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say Ebola because I think that it takes you out quicker. Uh, both of them are obviously uh, really, really lethal. Um, but yeah, I think that's my answer. Marvin? Uh, I, like, I like the, the creativity that uh, <laughs> um, that um, you both kind of have um, at answering the question. I think I agree with both of you. I think your instincts were, were both correct. Um, I mean, they're both terrible disease, don't get me wrong. And the, the, the correct answer, if one can answer that way, is that you really don't ever want to have either. Um, they're both like rated amongst the most um, kind of dangerous pathogen and most uh, lethal disease in terms of infectious disease goes. The the, the Nipah virus encephalitis, which I think is the, the, the one that you've asked, has really high case fatality. It's kind of it depends on you know what study that one look at. It's between forty to seventy percent of the people who develop encephalitis die, and a lot of people have long term sequelae. So it's it's probably worse than Ebola. But Ebola has some of the most deadliest outbreaks, and the, the outbreak in Africa also depends um, West Africa here. Yeah. Um, depends on when and where the data is collected. The fatality rate is uh, between, like I would say, the the, the high uh, the high twenties and thirties to, in some cases, ninety percent. But the reason why I think Ebola is um, that the kind of fatality is overestimated is because if one looks at the the way it had spread around, it is quite likely that when we are working out those case fatality we are under diagnosing a lot of cases and there's also that a lot of experience has been bold in treating these um, Ebola epidemics and particularly fluid management has substantially changed the outcome towards the kind of um, kind of more recent times so I believe that the Ebola fatality is actually decreasing over time quite surprisingly wow. really um, and 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 they are also um, it also depends on what um, what type of Ebola because there's also the um, the rest in which is relatively mild. So on the balance, I would say um, yeah, surprisingly, I think uh, I would rather have Ebola, uh, seeing that I might be surrounded people who are infectious disease specialists and with relatively good uh, 
kind of medical care and like kind of IV fluid management, et cetera. And um, Ruan, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I really, I don't think there's a right answer to this question. Uh, some things to point out though, I would probably also pick Ebola, mostly just because there, there is treatment for that. But one major thing that, that needs to be considered as well is the sequelae. So, I mean, Nipah virus and gephthalitis, it's clearly you, you might have long-term neurological fallout. But with Ebola virus, I think what might be underappreciated is uh, long Ebola, or uh, mm. um, which which is quite well described in terms of individuals, even if they do recover, they have long-term fallout. And the other thing is, is you have Ebola virus, which persists in sanctuary sites, and you essentially might have someone that recovers that triggers a further outbreak later. So yeah, really just uh, maybe avoid both. They're, they're both bad. In terms of global distribution... Do we see both of them in Central and West Africa? So, uh, I mean, yeah, Nipah virus, you're primarily going to be seeing that in um, Bangladesh and India. Right. Um, while Ebola virus, it, it's primarily uh, in Africa. Okay. Uh, there have been some, uh, obviously, explanted cases uh, to other sites, but that's uh, the only location that we've seen sustained human-to-human transmission would be in Africa. Um, I don't know. Marvin, any? I, I think that that was my residual knowledge. That <laughs> info. I don't know if there's anything new. No, yeah, no, that's correct. I mean, so so Ebola is uh, outside of the you know the kind of spillovers and travelers and stuff. It's mm. it's almost always um, kind of Central and West Africa. Um, so the the most recent one being in Uganda, which they actually dealt um, quite well. Okay. So yeah. So that's three points for Ebola from everybody here. So that's basically unanimous. <laughs> I'm sure Ebola is going to be happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So next question. So th- this one might be a bit, uh, bit out there, but would you? Okay. All? <laughs> <laughs> okay this is so. This is this is then going to take it to the next level. Would you rather treat a chronic norovirus gastroenteritis? or a chronic hepatitis E um, infection, both of which you would really only find in immunocompromised patients. What do you think, Mo? Okay, chronic neuro or chronic hepatitis E. Well, firstly, I want to say well done to us for diagnosing norovirus because we don't have the essays <laughs> to do that here. So, wow, <laughs> champions. <laughs> but I think... Clinical diagnosis, neuro- Mo. <laughs> in that case, I think oh, I would rather take norovirus, I think, because hepatitis E can be quite bad if you're um, maybe pregnant, if you're immunocompromised, it does linger. I don't think it causes much in terms of, in terms of uh, damage, but I'll take diarrhea any day because you can do fluid recess, you can monitor electrolytes, you can do blood gases. I think I'd rather replace fluids than try and deal with what if what if you get fulminant liver failure from hepatitis E and all sorts of things where pathogenesis and things, there's still some things we don't understand about hepatitis E. So norovirus is diarrhea. I'd rather just try and maintain that. I know there is a emergence of uh, neurological things with noro, but we're just going to stick with diarrhea here. So norovirus. Okay, okay. Another tagline for the episode. Let's just stick with diarrhea. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
I think um, my understanding of hepatitis is that we actually do have some um, antivirals that work against hepatitis. So there is actually some treatments against the hepatitis uh, family, the hep hepnaviridae, I think. So I am going to say hepatitis E treatment. Mm. Sorry? No, well done. Hepnaviridae. I remember when I was uh, studying that I was, I was like, oh, wow the hepatitis viruses are DNA viruses and it's right there in the name. So it's always stuck with me, the hepatinaviridae. Yeah, so so I think we've got some antivirals that do work against the hepatitis. I'm not sure if there's one specifically for hepatitis E, but uh, I'm going to go with Mo. Mo mentioned that there's no assay for norovirus. And I think that means there's no direct or specific treatment. We've only got supportive management for norovirus. So uh, because of that, as a clinician, I would rather treat chronic hepatitis E infection because we've got some treatments. And now I'm waiting eagerly to hear what the answer is. Hey, Marvin. All right. So, um, so I'm going to skip the whole, you know, there are no real uh, right answers uh, things, but I'm going to look at from for, for a change from a virologist's point of view. So these are both RNA viruses. So the, one of the antiviral drugs, which is hard to access, but we do have um, kind of anti-RNA virus specific drug in, the anti, uh, in rubavirin. So Simon, you are correct in saying that some of these hepatitis actually have treatment and um, I believe that the rubavirin in chronic hepatitis E is actually pretty good. I think you can have um, sustained virological response in like 80, 90% of the people that undergo treatment. So these are immunocompromised people, obviously, who, you know, can't clear the, the infection um, of either of these RNA viruses. And, but rubavirin doesn't work um, in norovirus and the treatment there would be only supportive. So I would go with... Um, chronic hepatitis E in this one. Okay. Yes, I finally got one right. <laughs> <laughs> the there's listeners a... can't see me doing my happy dance. <laughs> well, you know, Simon, this means that there's a future for you in virology. <laughs> <laughs> because I got one question right. Yeah. <laughs> how how low is the most bar? important one? <laughs> the most, most out there one. Mo, you want to change your answer? Um, no, what if I'm the unlucky one that gets fulminant uh, hepatitis E and dies? <laughs> Norovirus usually is an acute, uh, not harmful virus. So I, yeah. Okay. I stick with gastro hey, well, and I stick with noro. <laughs> stick with the diarrhea. Let's, Let's go. stick with diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question five is another stumper. Sure. I'm glad I'm not on the other oh, end answering these questions. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm ask. sweating. <laughs> would you rather be a gamma globulinemic or would you rather have a CD4 count of 10? Wow, Ruan, or know. anyone that came up with the questions. <laughs> Ruan, was this one you or was it Vinita? I, I, it might have been me. I oh, might have it been must me. be you. <laughs> <laughs> a CD4 count of so how much? 10. 10. Mm. That is nothing. But I guess the good news is we have ART. And if you if you take your medication, your CD4 count improves. You just have to hope you don't get any opportunistic infections. And um, that's, yeah. So I'd rather, because it's lifelong, that agamaglobulinemia is lifelong. The CD4 can improve. 
we don't know how we got there to the 10. We hope that we started from a good baseline, we dropped, and then we're going to go up again. So I'd rather have a CD4 count because we can take ART for that and improve our CD4 count. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, just uh, just to keep it virological. So what if you were a gamma globulinemic versus having a CD4 count of 10, which which uh, which viruses do you think would be more of a problem with with either? Just to follow up. Well, Rowan. No, you are a braver person than me. <laughs> like, no, I'm not. Because I'm courage, like, what? Friends, courage. Um, because we're talking here, HIV, HIV. HIV can do anything, isn't it? So that might have been a bit too far out there. So I'll, yes, I'll help you there. Thank you. So just, uh, just to point out um, and to help you make the decision, Simon, Generally, with A gamma globulinema, when you're talking virology, it's all the unenveloped viruses that are really bad. So you end up getting chronic um, intraviral infections. You get chronic polio from if someone that was vaccinated with polio vaccine might have chronic infection with that vaccine because they're A gamma globulinemic. While the CD4 count of 10, that's usually going to say that your adaptive immunity is impaired. So your envelope viruses tend to be more severe. So you end up getting severe cases of influenza and other respiratory tract uh, viruses. Um, so yeah, look, taking that into account, what, what would you think, Simon? Sure. Well, it depends. <laughs> I'm going to say that every time. Um, but thank you very much, Ruan, for explaining that because that is helpful and it does um, explain what the distinction would be. You know, I was thinking, well, both of them are terrible. I think that Mo had the nail on the head when she said that, you know, with ART, your CD4 can improve. However, depending on where you are, you can have immunoglobulin therapy. I'm, I'm sure in South Africa, it's less of a thing. And I think the response to that would be far swifter than it would be with ARTs, um, certainly in terms of your CD4 coming up. And although your CD4 is climbing, um, the antiretrovirals are only really going to help a small subset of the viruses, being your HIV viruses, maybe a few others. But if you actually have immunoglobulin therapy, although it might be lifelong, you're going to cover a broad spectrum of illnesses. So depending on uh, what your resources are and where you are geographically in the world, um, I might say a, a gamma globulinemia. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> That's a nice tongue twister, actually. Marvin, what do you think? What should we do? All right. Well, there are many ways um, to skin a cat. Not that I ever want to do that, but uh, it's the same. So one can look at it as the cause and what can we can do about it. So, I mean, the most common cause of a CD4 count of 10 is HIV by far. I mean, there are some kind of idiopathic um, CD4 lymphopenia um, causes, but, but by far is HIV. And that is reversible. And, you know, people have lived normal life with ART. So, so that's certainly um, one vote for rather having um, kind of CD4 count of 10. Whereas, I mean, goblin, see, already failed. <laughs> that one, the other one. Um, and, it's mostly genetic, right? So the common ones that are the kind of X-linked um, A gamma globulinemia. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can't reverse kind of genes. So not yet. Um, well, okay, <laughs> not yet, correct. So um, to take it in the more kind of like the literal sense, so if you have it, to quickly kind of reverse the effect of these immunosuppression, I guess it's quicker to to give gamma globulin 
So uh, that would probably be a vote for egg amyloglobulinemia then for CD4, which will take you know some time for immune reconstitution to happen. And then there's also kind of the issue of, you know, in some people you won't get perfect immune constitution, especially if your CD4 count is 10. Mm. So, okay, I'm sitting on the fence for this one. Um, so yeah, I guess it either could be correct or this depends on your answer. And I mean, on the balance of things, I probably rather have a gamma globulinemia, which is kind of for people who have the genetic disorder, they are known to live well into the 40s at least. Hmm. That's pretty good. Okay. I'm surprised that they would live um, so long having survived yeah. childhood and all of those viruses, right? Yeah, that's true. That is quite surprising. That's a long lifespan for someone without antibodies. Simon? Sorry, Sorry, that's two for you. Yes, that's two for you. So I think this this Korean virology is like screaming your name. Eh? <laughs> it's it's definitely not. It's definitely not because of any skill or knowledge in my class. I'm literally looking this consistently. Okay. So next question. I apologize in advance. Oh. Um, Mo, would you rather yes. have rabies or Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease? Wow. Okay. <laughs> like... Wow. Okay. That's properly unfair. Okay. <laughs> I, I pray. I pray for you in advance. <laughs> As in, I have rabies. Like I have it. You have it. You have it. And I have uh, CJ. Um, the ship has sailed. You have them. Okay. I think I would rather have rabies. Because at least I know I'm going to die and I'm going to die soon. If I have neurological symptoms, I'm going to die soon. And um, hopefully they'll sedate me and I won't feel anything. And hopefully I don't have the, I have the paralytic rabies instead of the crazy one. So I think I'd rather have rabies. Actually, we're going to die anyway. So I'd rather, anyway. Die of, <laughs> I'd rather die of rabies. Hopefully I didn't infect anyone. I will infect less people. Hopefully I just take myself. And I love my dogs. So at least if I got it from my dogs, I'd be fine with that. I should hope you won't get it from your own dog. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, And Simon, what do you think? So if I understand the question correctly, you're asking us, do we want to eat brains or do you want our brain to be eaten? (laughs) (laughs) I guess you could Uh, put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My brother is a wildlife vet, so he'll kill me if I say... uh, CJB. Um, so I would say I would, I would, oh, sorry, he would kill me if I took rabies uh, better. So I'd rather say CJV um, just because rabies, from what I've seen, is a terrible disease to experience. You know, you get all kinds of spasms and become apathetic. There's another tongue twister for us. Mm. Uh, you become, yeah, like completely mad although cjv is very debilitating as well but yeah my brother will will uh, call me out if uh, i say that rabies is better <laughs> so i'd rather have cjv so that's a strategic answer <laughs> right marvin wow um i think this one it's pretty grim i mean i think both diseases are as far as i'm concerned uniformly fatal there, there is almost guaranteed no surviving this um, rabies, of course, there's like the one famous case where they had this Milwaukee protocol. But as far as I know, it's not replicated anyway. And I think most of the experts agree that it's probably not going to work. And then people tweaking on one or two things, but it still 
I think currently, as far as I know, it's pretty pretty bad. So I guess it is kind of down to like how you want to go if they're both kind of uniformly fatal. Um, I mean, I mean, CJD at least you have some time. It's like a more um, chronic kind of course, and therefore you have kind of some time to get your affair in orders. And I guess you have a period of uh, kind of time that you can um, do the the stuff on your bucket list. And so I assume by means you have rabies, you start having symptoms. And then most of that time, you just don't have very much time. And it's probably one of the most painful ways to die. Um, So, yeah, I mean, probably CJD, although, I mean, yeah, it's pretty bad. Got uh, really morbid really fast. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, I don't don't think there's a a good answer here. It's this one's about how, how... how you want to go, unfortunately. Quick and fast. I'm with you, Mo. Yeah, right, like with the Ebola. You know, (laughs) let it take you out. Don't suffer. (laughs) No, for real, all of these are are very grim realities. I'm glad that it's a hypothetical and philosophical thing, but we Mm. also have to think about if a patient was to get this, uh, if you're not going to offer treatment, what sort of end of life care are you going to give them? And as you said with CJD, like the guy's going to go bungee jumping, he's going to go have a cruise. He might be one of those raving mad guests on the boats, but he will have a good time doing it. Yeah, we've got to think about that as well. That's true. Okay, we're coming very close to the end now. So I've got another question. I think you can relax a little bit after having that um, deathly experience. This one's not oh, so I terrible. think we're past we're past the severe neurological yeah. diseases. We passed the worst <laughs> now. So I think Simon is ready to take the first leap on this one. Yes. Simon, would you rather have chicken pox as an adult or would you rather have measles as a child? Okay. I think this is an easy one. So I am going to weigh right in and say I think I would prefer to have chicken pox as an adult. Number one, because measles is the most contagious disease we know of. That's just going to, if I'm a child in my classroom, um, there's a good chance that everybody in the class is going to get it because the R number is somewhere between 20 and 24. And most uh, most classes are sort of around that number. Then uh, chickenpox is an adult. We know that there is very good sort of calamine lotions and things you can put on (laughs) and my family is complete so I don't need to worry about uh, any of the staunch uh, viral transmissions or anything like Mm -hmm. that so that's an easy answer for me but again it depends nice one thank you and Mo okay so I think I would rather have measles as a child because one I'm female and we know that the neurological complications usually are higher in boys than in girls Mm -hmm. and measles is usually a mild mild disease and we hope that children get it in their childhood if they're not vaccinated so that they don't have to get it later on in life so rather measles because there's very few complications if you're a child in measles and uh, I'm a female so it's better for me in terms of the long terms things that could happen and my immunity is fine go girls (laughs) (laughs) Marvin well Mo, I'm quite quite surprised at that answer from you because I I learned a lot of the measles things from your recent uh, measles presentation so for those of you regular um, measles in childhood is fine yeah Mo Mo gave a, a, a fantastic talk um in, in uh, among the NHLS uh, virology registrars on SSPE which is a measles complication 
but let's kind of maybe just talk about the question of having chickenpox as an adult or having measles as a child um, for one second. And I guess one needs to kind of look at the likelihood. I mean, the, most of these questions are surrounding the kind of likelihood of kind of severe outcome or really bad outcomes, right? Um, and I mean, I think in this one, I'm pretty sure that the worst disease to have is measles if you are a child. The case fatality rates um, for measles in children is pretty bad. I mean, it, it's like, I think 0.3% of the children that get measles actually die from the complication. And, and and this I get from you, Mo. So it, it, the recent data points, like there are still <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people are dying of measles, like yes. now, like, you know, yes. so 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 it's it's one of the kind of most kind of uh, lethal infectious disease that we still have today. And, and part of that is because it's um, highly contagious, as that been mentioned. I mean, Having said that, the, having chickenpox as an adult is also no joke, um, and and there um, the complication rate is much lower than measles. I think it's about twenty one per hundred thousand, which translate to less than point one percent. So it's lower, but it's still in some scenario um, have pretty bad outcome. But I think if one goes by the statistics and the maths that I think uh, measles in children is probably worse than chickenpox as an adult. That's mm, cool. Can I share a, an entertaining story about chickenpox? Yeah, please go for it. So as you know, chickenpox is not part of our EPI schedule at the moment, but you can get the vaccine in private. I'm one of five children. My parents were very brave or silly. And they decided to have five kids between the ages or between the years of 1985 and 1990. Um, so uh, two, two of them, two of them are twins. So I just need to qualify okay. that my mom wasn't falling pregnant every, every year. It was 85, <laughs> 86, 88 and 90. Uh, anyway, so I would have been five and a half years old. And my youngest brother's twin brothers would have been about two or three months old. And I managed to bring home chicken pox to the family. Mm. And it roared through our family. All five kids got chicken pox, as well as my mom. And my poor dad, who had had chicken pox before, uh, was now looking after six sick patients, including five children under the age of six. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, it was a decidedly unpleasant time in his life. Mm, I can imagine. <laughs> that must have been awful. But it spreads quickly, hey? It spreads very, very quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. It was like wildfire. Sure. I think the incubation period is about a week or so, and uh, between like between kid and kid, it was only a couple of days mm. um, that that we all started developing these scaling lesions that uh, were incredibly itchy. Oh, shame! That sounds awful, and a story to tell forever. Yeah, I mean, so I would I would also just uh, just want to add yeah uh, that uh, basically it's this is a, a interesting question because these are the two viruses that are airborne um that are common mm. and that doctors might need to take account of mm. so a patient with chicken pox in the ward that is a airborne transmission risk so that patient can't just have contact precautions and um be in the ward with the rest of the patients they need isolation and airborne precautions so n95 same as right. tb and we often see these uh chicken pox outbreaks in in um in uh, long-term care facilities or or in psychiatric units 
um, because you have a lot of people that are in quite close contact and that can be quite dangerous um, because yeah, as uh, while chickenpox as a child can be relatively benign, as an adult, it can be a severe disease with pneumonia and you can die from it. It's not uh, just something to be ignored. So important in terms of IPC and then measles as well. IPC is very important. Also airborne, as Simon said, so the, the R0 is extremely high. And uh, yeah, I mean, measles as a child is no joke. And the real, the real important thing to point out though with measles in children is, is that it's not the virus. While the virus infection itself can be quite severe and can have neurological outcomes, what really is terrible about measles is that it basically does a hard reset on your immune system. It wipes out your all your memory B cells and you lose all your immunity that you have accumulated up to that point. And that's why it's so terrible to get it in someone, in, in children that are post six months, because here they have lost all their immunity from their parents, from their, mm. from their mom. And during that time, while they still had some cover, they might have developed now uh, some level of immunity to strep group, uh, to strep, like pneumonia. And then now you knock out all their B cells and they get these severe, so I mean, the most common post-measles complications, one of the most common complications is otitis media or um, bacterial pneumonia. And the really that, you know, that that's what really causes the high level of mortality. It's that hard reset on your immune system. And you're essentially left out in the cold, having to face all these infections that you might have built up some immunity prior to your measles episode um, again. And yeah, without the benefit of having maternal antibodies to protect you. Mm, great. That's brilliant, Ron. Thanks so much for adding that on. That was fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, everybody. That was so fun. And more importantly, it was incredibly educational. Once again, I've had a major boost in my otherwise somewhat rusty virology. So Simon and Mo, you guys were such good sports. Thank you so much for both joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. It really was great. And um, uh, I really appreciate what you're doing through the Microbial podcast. I encourage all junior doctors and medical students to tune in and learn some valuable things that are, are going to take us forward as future doctors. Thanks, Simon. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Mo. Marvin, your insights were incredible. I hope I can convince you to join us again sometime soon. Thanks for inviting me. I hope... Uh... You know, I haven't <laughs> said too many uh, uh, controversial things, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to hear kind of learning with everybody else. Awesome, and thanks, Ruan, for your insights and for joining me. These virology things are always a little bit um, scary for me, so it's lovely to have you on board always. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for the opportunity, Ben. It's uh, it's really great to to talk about these things that might seem. Uh, seem obvious to us sitting in the lab and just uh, reading about viruses every day but you know a lot of it has uh, real world implications that might be missed so it's i think it's important to get it out there true listeners let us know on social media that's on twitter instagram facebook or even pinterest or by email and we would love if you could give us a five-star rating if you like this episode remember once again to sign up or subscribe wherever you're listening and so until next time that's it from me vin Ruan and Vanita sitting in the background. We'll all see you again soon with more Contagious Mail. Ooh.